today is an amazing day. I'm just, I've been overwhelmed with all the texts and um, outreach that I've received today with this promotion. But there's one thing I'll say about, about today. To, to love what you do is one thing, but to work at a place that you love and with people that you love, it, it doesn't get much better than that. And to be the assistant coach here for Duke with, with Coach K, who is, who is trusted me since 2007 when he came into my living room and offered me to come to Duke, to this day, that trust and that bond is still there. So just honored to be a part of this program and make it continue to be great and continue to hunt championships. Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 308 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Sunday morning, April 18th, 2021. Duke has a new assistant head coach and a couple of new guys on the roster. So we need to talk about all of that. But before we get started, I am your host for this episode. I am Sam Klein, coming to you, as I often do, from Boston. I am joined, as always, by Jason Evans and Donald Wine. Jason is at home. So, Jason, I'll start with you. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing just fine and dandy on this Sunday morning. Excited to talk about. There's been a lot of turnover and changes to the folks who will be on the bench and on the court for the Blue Devils next season. And, and, I'm, and it's be that is exactly about. why we are here. So, yeah. Donald Wine is also with us. Donald, where are you? Uh, I am on vacation with my dad and my brother in Las Vegas. Uh, so apologies for the audio because this was supposed to be a quick weekend. And then, of course, as we we're leaving, Duke decided to drop all the news. So uh, I am currently doing this on some mobile headphones. But uh, uh, yeah, excited to talk about the new look Duke Blue Devils from the coaching staff to the players. And the last time we spoke to you was on Wednesday. We, we did have the latest Return to Glory episode drop on Friday. But the last time that the three of us were all with you together was on Wednesday evening when Matthew Hurt announced, as we had expected he was going to do, that he is leaving Duke to pursue his NBA dreams. So he's out as we anticipated, but as we had been sort of alluding to for the last few weeks, Duke's roster was not quite yet complete. So uh, in the last few days, Duke has added two big men to the roster, Bates Jones and Theo John, both senior or, or graduate transfers from other Division I programs, Bates Jones coming from Davidson, Theo John coming from Marquette. But I think the biggest news and the thing we want to discuss first, at least the biggest news as far as I'm concerned for Duke for, for this coming season and, and for seasons to come, hopefully many, is that Nolan Smith has been promoted into Nate James' old role as the third assistant coach, or Nate, I guess, was the associate head coach before and now Nolan takes his place on the bench as a formal assistant. Prior to this, Nolan had been the director of basketball operations, a role that traditionally had not been filled by a former captain star player on the team, but, but somebody who didn't have quite that, that level of, of basketball highlight in him. Nolan also prior to that had been a special assistant to the program. He's basically been on the bench or around the Duke program since 2015, since the, the national championship year. That was the year, his last year as a professional basketball player. He had injured himself. He had come back to Duke to rehab. And he sort of just transitioned slowly from rehabbing professional athlete to retired professional athlete who's on the bench at Duke. I think that Duke fans have known Nolan Smith for a long time and known that he's a guy that, that is great to have around the program. So, so what I'd like to do, you all heard at the top of the show, his opening statement from the press conference that he did the other day that Jason Evans attended for us here at the DBR. We are going to just give a little bit of commentary about Nolan Smith, and then we'll dive into a few of the answers that he gave in that press conference. So 
Jason, I'll come to you first without sort of addressing any of the specifics of, of what he said, because I think we'll do that in a few minutes. Just your overall impression of Nolan Smith and the promotion that he received this week within the Duke program. This is a guy who's known as the people's champ. And the reason he's known as the people's champ is because he is so popular and uh, people love following him online. People love being in his presence. He's one of these personalities where it's just, you know, effusive and, and effervescent. Those are, the, those are the kind of words that come to mind when you're around Nolan Smith. Uh, I, I mean, look, I'm not going to pretend like he's someone that I, I know really well personally. I've done a few, you know, Zooms with him, this kind of stuff. But his personality comes through even on those. And uh, he, he, has a, he has a reputation as someone who speaks to the youth, um, who speaks to other players, knows what concerns them. And, he, he, you know, I, this is nothing but positive for Duke. It, it, he is going to be a dynamite recruiter. There's no question about that. I think the fact that he's now going to have a more active role in Duke practices. This is a guy who very recently, you know, in, in terms of being a coach, he was very recently a top level co- uh, basketball player um, and is still in pretty darn good shape. And, uh, I, you know, and I, I'm, I'm excited for him to be on the floor with the team, on the sidelines, pumping guys up and really excited for him to be on the recruiting trail. I think he's he's going to make a very, very, very positive impact on the program and, and just a great guy. Uh, you know, couldn't happen to a nicer uh, former Blue Devil, uh, beloved for good reason. Let's put it that way. I, I like. I would love to tell many stories about my time on campus with Nolan Smith. Donald, I'll let you chime in first, though. Jason highlighted a few different places where Nolan makes an impact, being a former player, being a guy who really knows how to connect with the the high schoolers and the college players, a guy who's made an impact in the community. Where do you envision Nolan's greatest impact to be on this Duke program and in all the ways that we assume he's going to contribute as an assistant? The leadership and the importance of it. Um, you know, he was a guy that led by example. He was a captain. He did all the things that we've been missing the last couple of years and being able to be able to directly impart that on college kids is a plus. And really, you know, Jason talked about it, but I think he kind of skimmed the surface of him being the people's champion, him being beloved. The fact that you have a guy who being an assistant coach at Duke is not his dream job. Being at Duke is his dream job. And so I'm super happy that he is being able to live out his dream and making a promotion and being able to remain a part of the Blue Devil family. I think it's, it was the only hire. It was the best hire. It was someone who like, I feel like the coaching staff just waited the proverbial two weeks that they needed to wait to make him an assistant coach after Nate James left. So he is the man. He's really a guy that you want in your huddle. He, he's a guy that you want to send into kids' homes and to talk to parents and to be able to vibe with these kids because he has that rapport with every student that he comes across, every student athlete that he comes across. So Nolan Smith is the perfect choice for this, and I'm really excited to see what he can do now with this extra responsibility that he has, and I know he's looking forward to it as well. You know, I want to add one thing, and I should have thought of this earlier. For some reason, when Donald was talking about it, it just came to me that, you know, Nolan is going to be able to relate to these players, relate his own experience to these players in some very unique ways. This is not a guy, people need to remember his career. This is a very highly touted recruit, big time recruit who showed up at Duke and had a pretty pedestrian freshman season. 
He played less than 15 minutes a game as a freshman, averaged five and a, five and a half points per game. Um, didn't, you know, didn't shoot lights out or anything like that. You know, it, he was, he was not what was expected his freshman year. And, and even his sophomore season, he was better, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't like all ACC caliber. Uh, and then it really happened for him. And his junior and senior seasons, he he wins a, a ring. I, I believe he was ACC Player of the Year. I'm trying to recall. Ky- he was ACC Player yeah. of the Year his senior year, yeah. which was the year that, that Kyrie got hurt and Nolan had to take over. Right, exactly. Uh, but, but I mean, talk about spanning um, a, a, a variety of experiences at Duke. You know, if a guy's struggling, no one's going to be able to say to them, hey, this is what I did when I – because Nolan struggled. There's no question about that. Um, and I, I just think that's so important for, for him as a coach to have those experiences. This isn't a guy who set the world on fire from day one. And, and, and I, I think it's great how his career turned out and the fact that he's going to be able to impart that knowledge to other players, hugely important. And Jason, his senior year, not only was he ACC player of the year, he was for he was first team all American. Yeah. For two months, he was the most unguardable player in college basketball. He could do everything that he wanted with the basketball and was, yeah, he was borderline national player of the year. He, he was very a finalist for almost every single category. The man went from, you know, as you said, having, you know, an under underperforming freshman year to being one of the hottest players on the planet. And I'll give you some, some reminiscing of, of you were there, Sam. Because yeah, so <laughs> I, I I've been withholding because I want to see how much you guys remember, and then I'll and then I'll give you what I think was the the sort of on campus experience. So Nolan Smith and I lived in the same dormitory freshman year. I was in Bassett Hall, which if you have been at Duke for I don't know any of the last like twenty years or so, that's where the basketball players have lived for a long time. I'm not sure actually if they if they still live there, but when I was there. The basketball players lived in Bassett Dormitory. I lived not this year, but in pre- not, not this year. Yeah, I don't know. Not this year, but this before. Year. Yes, but but I was in Bassett Dormitory in the fall of 2007, along with Nolan Smith and Kyle Singler and Taylor King, who only lasted one season at Duke. But Nolan Smith was a guy right from day one who was he was everywhere on campus. He was, I think, starting from basically his sophomore year, he was one of the most popular guys on campus, and it wasn't just because he was a basketball player. If there was a major campus event, Nolan Smith was there. If you if you attended Duke in the in the mid two thousands, you remember for better or worse the history of of the tailgates for the football games, which became somewhat disassociated from the actual football games. There's there's a whole sort of rot history about about how debaucherous the tailgates were and how the people going to the tailgates wouldn't go to the football games. Nolan Smith went to the tailgates and then Nolan Smith went to the football games. Like that's the kind of guy that he was. He wanted, he wanted to be everywhere. If there was a big event on campus, Nolan was there and there are always people around and hanging out with him. He was, he, he got that moniker, the people's champ. I think his, his junior year, which is when it's also around the time. It's it's so funny to remember this. This is around the time that like Twitter is becoming popular. It's like 2009, 2010. And Nolan Smith is like one of the most popular college athletes on Twitter. And so everyone gets on Twitter because they want to interact with Nolan Smith in the same way that they were like interacting with Shaquille O'Neal. And, you know, let's let's be honest. Nolan Smith did not have a huge NBA career. He was not a star in the NBA by any means. He only lasted a couple seasons. But to Duke fans who were around in the in the late 2010s, Nolan Smith was the dude on campus and and he was everywhere. That that was my my main memory of him. And that he was always a, a, a great and, and nice guy. Jason's mentioned how 
we've interacted with him on this show a couple of times. He's been gracious enough to join us as a guest on this program a couple of times. He came on, I think, most memorably for us right after Kobe Bryant passed to share his feelings about Kobe Bryant. But I, I've known Nolan Smith for a long time, sort of personally, and I can tell you that he's a great dude. And he's somebody that I was describing this to my dad the other day. We were talking about about Nolan's promotion. And I said, Nolan Smith is one of those guys that everybody claims to be best friends with. There are probably hundreds of people who claim to be best friends with Nolan Smith. And he would say, oh yeah, I love that dude. And I love that dude. And I love that dude. So that that's the kind of guy he is. And it's really, it's really exciting for me to see that he's gotten this promotion. And then hopefully it means he's going to be a head coach, be it at Duke or somewhere else someday, but that he's on that track. And I think I, I thought once upon a time on this show, that he might not want to be that kind of coach. Like maybe him being the director of basketball operations meant that he was destined for something else, but clearly from what he said in the press conference and, and, and his attitude and, and the, the program's attitude towards him is that he's really excited to be here. And Jason, I, I totally agree with you that the impact he's going to have in so many different ways is going to be unique to Nolan Smith. And by the way, over the last year, Nolan has also been, probably the most outspoken member of the Durham and Duke communities when it comes to social justice. And I don't want to get too deep into, into all the implications of that and, and, and political things, but Nolan Smith is, is really a guy who tells you who he is and is honest and, and forthright about those kinds of things and wants to be a leader, as Donald said. So I'm really excited that he's gotten this promotion, and I think it's a, a great opportunity for Nolan and for the program. And he's going to fight. I mean, that's part of his mentality. He's not a guy who's going to do anything laying down. Whatever he does, he does full into it. So the fact that he has won at this position, that he's been waiting for it, and now that he has that chance, I'm so proud of him to get to this point, and I can't wait to see what he can do. Absolutely. And we're going to get right now to some audio, but one more thing that I wanted to note about, about Nolan's promotion that I'm very excited about is that I'm sure that the assistant promotion comes with a little bit more money, and we've seen how well Nolan has dressed on his director of basketball operations budget. I can't wait to find out how he dresses on the assistant coach's budget. Cause I feel like things are really going to get turned up for him. He can't, he can't be too, he can't be too good. Now he can't be better than coach, you know, coach can't gonna, be too good. Like, yeah, you got to get to a point, but we've he, seen, we've seen some of those jackets that he showed up to games in. And, and I feel like there's, there's another gear there. For there's him. the next level. You know where he's going to spend the money. He, on the press conference, he told us he's going to spend the money on the shoes. I think we can start there then on, on the shoes, because I know that this is something that Nolan mentioned on the press conference. So let's play that very quickly. This is a question that Nolan got about, about you know, what he's got to do to be a good recruiter in the ACC and, and nationally. And, and he pointed out that the footwear is important. Take a listen. You know, first thing I'm going to do is step up my shoe game. Um, step up my sh- Look, I'm, I'm telling you, that's, that's a big thing. These, these recruits, they, they want to see your shoe game. You know, so I have to make sure that's fresh and make sure my gear is fresh when we get on the road. Um, and I'm just excited to be in those gyms as a full time coach and, you know, watch watch the high school players play and, you know, look for the right fit for Duke for Duke basketball. So that's Nolan Smith on upping his sneaker game. Jason, what do you think about that? Oh, I, you know, the thing about the thing about the Nolan press conference that I loved, there was there there was so much love and so much humor on that call. And, and that's a great win. And by the way, and that's Nolan recognizing. The reality of the situation, which is that, hey, man, when I when I walk in the gym, when I'm recruiting, the first thing everybody knows is, you know, what you got on your feet, what you're wearing, what, how is your shoe game? 
And, and I love that he knows the kids well enough to know that that's really important. I mean, that's the best part that he's like, I got to up my shoe game because I, I am in touch with these kids and I know that's what they care about. So two things. One, DJ Stewart, Mark Williams, and even Jalen Johnson, when they did the Duke Blue Planet episodes back in the beginning of the season, they talked a lot about their shoe game and what shoes they brought to campus and they were comparing who had the best shoe game. It was actually one of the questions that they did. Second off, no one's going to be cheating in this category because he knows KD personally. He knows Kyrie. He knows these guys that have really, really nice shoes. And all he's going to do is he sees some, he's like, hey, going to get a big recruit. All of a sudden, these brand new pair of KDs are going to show up or these brand new pair of Kyries are going to show up or some Jason Tatums are going to show up. And he's going to be like, oh, th- I can't believe like these could be yours if you come to do just saying. And there are no limits on him on, on what shoes he's procuring or, or how many pairs or whatever. He, you know, I mean, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about NCAA regulation, but there's no regulation on the coaches and how flashy they can be. So that's awesome. I want to get to a question that Brendan Marks posed, uh, our friend of the show, I suppose, uh, from The Athletic, and uh, was asking about Nolan's expanded role. You mentioned a couple of those things that are now going to be added to your plate in terms of responsibilities. What are some of the things you're most looking forward to in the new role? Are there things that maybe you haven't done before that now you get an opportunity to? Like, what are you most excited about? Uh, I think I'm most excited about being on the court with the players. Um, it's been it's been a long a long journey since I've been back of behind the scenes work and not being able to be on the court. But now I get to be out there actually teaching them. And, and I was when I was reading Coach's quote about me before I sat down, and he mentioned that I can still play, so I can also I can show I can actually show them a thing or two now still too, and that's I'm thankful for that. So just to be on the court, be on the court with these players, and you know, go, teaching them the game of basketball is what that's what it's all about. So I'm excited to find out that Nolan is is now participating in practices, and and you know when you think about it, Nolan and and also associate head coach John Shire really did not, I mean, I'm, I'm going to date myself. I'm going to say that I didn't graduate long enough ago that, you know, my personally, Sam Klein, my athletic abilities have waned, not that they were ever any good, but I'm sure that Nolan and John are able to stay in shape and can probably stick with the guys. So Donald, do you expect to hear uh, some good stories from practice about Nolan and John uh, showing a thing or two to the, to the 18 year olds? Oh, absolutely. But I think the one thing above all that, that he's going to show is intensity when it takes to play Duke basketball and to play college basketball with the Duke uniform on being able to anticipate what the other team is going to give you every single night in and night out, which is their best shot. And I think he's the one that embraces that uh, a lot. You know, Chris Carrawell does it in a way, but you know, no one is going to be able to show them exactly how that's going to work and show them what it's going to be like to kind of get on the court and be bodied and be bullied by some of these uh, ACC opponents and how to, how to play against that. On that topic, I, I want to also highlight a question that Mark Armstrong asked Nolan's place in the pecking order as an assistant coach. Take a listen to this. And then, Jason, I want to get your thoughts on that. It's not very often. Oftentimes, like a third assistant just want to keep their head down, keep quiet and, and try and not mess up. Right. You're such a prominent figure. Um, do John and, and Chris need to remind you, you know, your pecking order on this whole thing? I'm, uh, that's a great question, Mark. I'm sure. I'm sure at some point they they will. Like, hey, young buck, look. Especially when they give me the first scout of the season, which is the first game, that will be kind of like here. You 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 get that scout. I got the Carolina scout. I got the. <laughs> they'll 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 have their ways of where they put me in my place. But 
they're they're excited. They've been they've been super great today and talking to me. And when we've had many conversations, like to have to have John as a brother for for such a long time, um, from our playing days and see well again. I mean, it's it's the brotherhood. So to be able to work with those two guys, man, it's it's absolutely absolutely amazing. So Jason Nolan says that that he's got a good rapport with the guys, but what do you think is really going on behind the scenes there when it comes to the assistant coach pecking order? So I want everyone to understand the context of that question. That was like the last question on the press conference. We, you know, we, about a twenty-minute long press conference. Um, almost all of us had had a chance to to ask uh, at least one question. And and Mark Armstrong, um, who's a local TV sports reporter uh, in in Durham in Raleigh, Durham, uh, came back for that was his second question. And, and it cracked everybody up. Like this is one, you know, this is a, a big Zoom call. Everyone starts laughing both at his his question and at Nolan's answer. And, and you could hear it, again, you can hear it coming through the screen. I mean, Nolan's joking around. He, he's just having a great time. And, and you know, he's got a great relationship with John Shire and Chris Carrawell already. And you know, they're going to give him shit. There's just no question about it. <laughs> and I, 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 I hope at some point we get to hear some of the stories. Because they will be out there, and and I'd love for us to get a little taste of those. We need to get some of these assistant coaches on to talk about what the rookie hazing is for assistant coaches, because that's one of the few things about the, the, the onions of the program that we don't really know. All right, I want to get to another question that, that is sort of along the same lines that Evan Colon asked. So it's about Nolan's inspiration as a coach, and, and I have some thoughts on this after we come back. Hey, Nolan, congrats on the promotion. I'm just wondering, was there a moment during your playing career at Duke that you thought, you know, maybe one day I could be coaching on the sidelines? And if not, sort of when did that moment come for you? When did that realization come? Yeah, um, for me, my basketball plan always had coaching in in the hindsight. Um, For me, it came came sooner than I thought it would. Um, I thought I was going to play a lot longer, but due to injuries, I found myself back here. But my dad coached for the Washington Bullets when he passed away. Um, so he went from a player to coach. So that was always my vision that when I stopped playing, I would join the coaching ranks. So here I am. Uh, it's all it's all kind of worked out. But you know, when you're sitting on the bench and you're you're playing for Coach K and you're with great coaches like Chris Collins and Coach Wojo, um, Coach Johnny Dawkins, you see all these great coaches and you build a relationship with them. As a point guard, especially, you're watching them, you're learning, and it kind of was always a big thing. Like. Now I could see myself one day really coaching. You know, when I hear that, there, there's a lot, there's a lot wrapped up in that. I think Nolan's story and and the story of his father is is a big deal to him, and and I know it was a big deal when he was at Duke. When you know, for folks that don't remember, Nolan's dad died when he was very young, and like Nolan, was a very popular player in the NBA, and then as an assistant coach. And so Nolan has grown up with a lot of sort of basketball influence because of all the guys that his dad played with and, and guys that his dad coached when Duke won the championship in 2010 in Indianapolis. It was very special for Nolan in particular because his father had also won an NCAA championship 30 years before that, also in Indianapolis in, in 1980 as a member of the of the Louisville Cardinals. And we were talking earlier, Jason, you mentioned how Nolan struggled his first couple of years at Duke. One thing that, that we didn't talk about that I think is an important part of his story is that at the end of his freshman season, Nolan Smith really considered transferring. And the, I, I think part of the story behind it was that Johnny Dawkins had been the associate head coach at Duke. This is way back in 2008. He got the Stanford Cardinal job at the end of that season. And so he was leaving. 
he and and Nolan Smith were really close. Johnny had recruited Nolan to Duke. Just being yeah. really quick, uh, uh, Johnny was like a father figure to Nolan because right. Johnny Dawkins and Derek Smith played together on the Philadelphia 76ers when they were both in the NBA. Um, and Derek, like you said, died at the age of 34, very young. Uh, and, and Johnny had been a, a a real father figure to Nolan for many many years, and, and that's, that's and that's primarily yeah. why why Nolan ended up at Duke. And, yes, and Johnny yes. was a DC guy, just like just like Derek Smith was. So Johnny's leaving at the end of Nolan's freshman season. Nolan didn't have a great freshman year, as, as you pointed out, and he had been five star McDonald's All American, like highly touted prospect. And he thought at the end of that season, things aren't really going well for me. And and Coach K and the rest of the coaching staff really worked with Nolan to figure out a plan for him coming back that did not have him transferring and resulted in him winning a national championship, becoming an All-American, becoming a Duke legend, becoming, I think, to many Duke fans, right? Grant Hill and Christian Leitner and Shane Battier may be more talented Duke players. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're ranking just the greatest Duke players of all time on pure talent, but if you ask Duke fans about their favorite players at Duke, Nolan Smith is... is definitely in the in that top five range, if not even more popular than that. I want to get to one final question, which Jason got to ask, which was uh, about sort of all the all the players rights things that are going on. I want you to take a listen to this. Uh, Nolan, you've been an active voice in players rights, um, you know, lending your voice to their cause. We just saw the NCAA make a big change in allowing players to transfer one time without sitting out a year. There's lots of talk about players making money off their name, image, and likeness. Now that you're in a higher profile position, can you talk about what changes you think need to be made to college basketball to make it more equitable for the players? Yeah, absolutely. You know, my, my stance is definitely well known as far as, you know, how I feel players in, in college basketball should be treated and what they should get. And, and I will definitely not shy away from being vocal on that. But, you know, I will say in short, my, my job will always be to, to, to look out for our players to love our players and make sure that they are getting the most that they can get. I mean, they give so much to this university and they give so much to the sport and to the brand of, of NCAA and college basketball. They, they deserve the best men's and women's side deserve the best. So as much as I can continue to be vocal on that, I will. So Jason, what do you think about Nolan's answer here about the way that he's going to work with players and, and thinking about the changes that are coming to college sports? I mean, we're at an inflection point. There's a little question about that. We're at an inflection point in college basketball. We're, we're seeing it with the transfer rule this summer. One of the things I asked about that that we haven't really discussed that much on this podcast is the NCAA just uh, passed legislation to, to allow players to not sit out when they transfer. Everyone knew this was coming. That's why the transfer portal has been so active because everyone knew they could transfer and be immediately eligible. But the NCAA formalized that. Nolan has been for a long, long time one of the foremost voices in, in advocating for players. I mean, look, Jay Billis is another one who is a very, very strong advocate for players. It's no coincidence that they, there are a lot of Duke guys are, are, are strong in this area. Um, but I think I, I'm really interested in seeing how Nolan uses his elevated role. He is now an assistant coach at the most prominent program in the country. Kentucky fans may argue with us, Carolina, Kansas fans. Duke's the most prominent program in, in college basketball. That's just reality. Uh, and and Nolan, so Nolan Smith is one of the most important, one of the most significant, one of the best known assistant coaches in all of college basketball. So he, he has a new platform from which to advocate for players. And I'm going to be very interested in seeing what he does with that platform, because, as I said, we're at a moment when things are changing in, in you know, seismic kind of ways. 
and and there needs to be a it needs to happen in a way that doesn't destroy the game and doesn't harm the players. And, and I, I look for Nolan to be one of the folks who's, who's a leader in making sure that those two things can happen at the same time. Donald, what do you think of Nolan's commentary about all the changes? I think it's exactly what he's been really touting these last you know few months and over the course of the past year, especially as this issue has kind of popped up into the forefront. So when it comes to him, Jason's right. His elevated platform is going to allow him more opportunity to speak and be heard. I think that's the, that's the two things here. You can speak all you want, but if you're in a, in a lower position where people don't get, have to hear you or listen to you, then they're not going to. Now he's in a position where people, when he speaks, people will listen and people will hear what he has to say. And so I think the fact that he's going to be using that to still advocate for players' rights and to be able to give them exactly what they need, especially knowing how he's gone through as you said, he's gone through the experiences. He's gone through the, the you know, transfer and, and that sort of talk. He's gone through being a star on campus. He's gone through being not the star on campus. He's gone through all these different things. He has that unique perspective and will be able to use that wisdom and his platform to bring change that is needed. I think it's great that that it's sort of top of mind for him, even you know, when, when he's in a press conference like this, and this tells you how much college athletics has changed the last few years. You can't imagine that 10 years ago in an opening press conference for a guy getting a, a major coaching job that he would get asked extensively or even maybe at all about these kinds of things. And Nolan, not only, you know, expect like, like this is the, the question that, that I would have asked as well, Jason, if, if I had been on this show and, and Nolan answered it straight up, you know, from his heart. So I, I think that stuff is really cool. Guys, let's do some quick final shots on, on Nolan Smith before we take a break and come back and talk about the tr- transfers. Donald, give me, give me some parting words on Nolan Smith's hire as the new assistant head coach at Duke. Like I said, I'm just proud of him, you know, to get to this point throughout his career. He's been one of the most popular players in Duke history. When you talk about you know, you have the, the pantheon of retired numbered players, right? Those type of legends. Some people, most people will put Nolan Smith, his legend status kind of right underneath that. He's, his number is not going to be in the Raptors, but he's going to be revered just as heavily as those type of players. So the fact that he is remaining in the Duke family is a great thing. You know, we almost lost them last year to Memphis. You know, he, he applied to be the assistant coach there and, and was interviewed ultimately decided to stay in Durham for this opportunity to be elevated to the coaching staff. He's getting his opportunity and I know he's going to make the most of it. Jason, a final word on Nolan Smith. Everything to me about this conversation, I was, I've been reflecting on this conversation, you know, Sam and you said, Oh, let's have some final thoughts. And, and Donald started speaking. And when Donald started speaking, I, I started to look back in my own head over everything we've said about Nolan, uh, you know, the press conference and all this other stuff. One word leadership. It really comes down to that at leadership uh, on the sidelines, on the court, in practice, uh, at b- recruiting uh, as a as a voice in the community. And by community, I don't just mean Durham; I mean the national basketball community. Nolan Smith is a leader, and Duke has struggled somewhat with leadership at various times in recent years. There's no question Duke struggled with leadership this past this past season. But the, the you know the one and done kind of climate makes it harder to develop leaders. Uh, Nolan Smith is one of the foremost leaders in, in the history of the Duke basketball program. I don't say that for hyperbole. I'm absolutely dead, 100% certain of that, that Nolan Smith is one of the greatest leaders that, that Duke has produced alongside guys like Shane Battier and, and several others. 
having him on the sidelines is going to benefit this team in a hugely positive kind of way um, and, and benefit Duke moving forward and benefit college basketball moving forward. So that, that's my, my parting shot is this man is a leader and a smart, thoughtful person. We are better for having him doing what he's doing. I don't think we would have dedicated this long of a segment on the podcast to a guy if we weren't super excited about it. My, my impression of Nolan Smith is that he's got the best combination of being an old soul, but also being like a young guy. And, and, and all of that I think is going to benefit coach K and benefit the players immensely as, as Nolan steps into this role. And by the way, you know, we've said that changes are coming eventually to Duke. Like coach K is going to have to retire at some point and he's not getting any younger. Nolan Smith is going to be, I think, a big part of the cultural transition. So hopefully he's he's around for a few years. And, and even if he's, you know, I don't think he's at the top of the list for succeeding Coach K. He's still pretty young, but that he would be a guy that would be sort of the the, the cultural center of the program to, to help ease that transition whenever Coach K does decide to hang it up. Guys, we have a couple of transfers we need to talk about. But before we do, let's take a quick break. We are back and we are going to talk about a couple of guys who have announced transfers into the Duke program. We have mentioned guys leaving the program in recent weeks, but now we got to talk about guys coming in. So as of Wednesday night, Duke was down to eight scholarship players after Matthew Hurt announced that he was transferring. And we noted that's enough players for Coach K to run his normal rotation, but not that's still lots of room on the roster for scholarship players. There was room for Duke to bring guys in, be they incoming freshmen, the sort of high school senior types, or transfers. And we've noted that the transfer portal was extremely active this year. And in the last few days, Duke has picked up two recruits. So I'm going to introduce a couple of them to you, and then we're going to we're going to talk about each of them in turn. The first and the one that I assume is going to have a little bit more impact on the court next season for Duke is Theo John. He was a senior this year at Marquette, played for former Duke Blue Devil, former captain and assistant coach Steve Wojciechowski. So definitely familiar with at least some aspects of the Duke program. Theo John is a 6'9", power forward, center type. He's originally from Minneapolis, so I'm sure he's familiar with a few other Blue Devils who have come through the program in recent years, guys who who were big in the Minneapolis area prep scene, Gary Trent, Trey Jones, possibly Matthew Hurt. So Theo John is, is not, um, he's not unfamiliar with Duke. Uh, that's that's the, the main recruit. The other guy is Bates Jones who was not a star at Davidson, but was a member of the Davidson program and played for legendary Davidson coach Bob McKillop. And I think more, most interestingly to Duke fans, Bates Jones is the younger brother of Daniel Jones, New York Giants quarterback and former Duke quarterback who uh, had a number of great highlights when he was in Durham. So very cool to have Bates Jones in town. I want to start, though, with Theo John. Jason, I'm going to come to you first. Give me your thoughts on Theo John joining the program. This is a guy who is going to be a key practice player. I know we've we've talked uh, we've talked a lot about practice players, and you've highlighted the importance of practice players in some recent Return to Glory episodes. So, what do you think about Theo John joining the Blue Devils? Yeah, he's not. By the way, I think he's not just going to be a practice player. This is a this is an ideal rim protecting backup big man for, for the Blue Devils. He is going to be a big player in practice. It's going to help Mark Williams immensely to go against a guy like Theo John. Uh, I, I want to give people some, some stats 
some physical stats on, on Theo John to understand who this guy is. He is 6'9", but he has a 7'4 wingspan. Whew. Okay. Long arms. That's big. He, yeah. That's very big. You ready for big though? Close to 250 pounds. I've seen 255 even for this guy. That's some serious beef <laughs> pushing you around in the middle. And uh, he is absolutely sculpted. If you look at his physique, look at some pictures of him online. This is a man who knows how to hit the weight room. We heard all season last year, Coach K would come into press conferences and say, Duke got knocked back. You know, they were more physical than us. All those other kind of things ain't going to be more physical than Theo John. Theo John's going to go out there and lean on you. And when he leans on you, you know it. The other thing about him, another physical stat, Theo John, when the season starts, will be 23 years old. Duke is young. Duke teams are always young. Theo John is old. This is a man, a full-grown man. He has played four years in the Big East where they battle on the inside. He knows this level of competition. And, and, and to me, one of the biggest things is uh, Chris Carrowell on the Duke staff was one of the folks who recruited Theo John at Marquette and coached him for a couple of years. Obviously, Sam mentioned Wojo was his coach is head coach, but Duke, Duke has a relationship with Theo John through Carowell, through Wojo, but, but especially through Carowell. Um, I, I think Duke communicated exactly what Theo John's role would be. I think Duke knows exactly what they're getting in Theo John. The fact that this sort of the, 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 the time from entering the portal to committing to Duke was very short. Theo John went into the portal pretty much knowing where he was going to go. He had clearly been in contact, I think, you know, with Duke and, and, and knows exactly what's awaiting him. And Duke knows what they're getting. This is a guy I think who's going to be a valuable, I don't know, seven to 10 minute per game kind of player for Duke. Um, and, and is going, like I said, going to protect the rim, block shots and be a physical presence in the post. And also in case of emergency, break glass in case of emergency. If, if for some reason someone gets in bad foul trouble or gets hurt, I hope it doesn't happen, but if someone gets injured, Theo John is absolutely capable of being a starting center in the ACC. No question about that. He was a starting center for four years in the Big East. He can do it in the ACC as well. Yeah, that that was the thing that was most interesting to me is that he clearly, like when I talked about being a practice player, I'm saying that only in the context of Mark Williams and Paulo Bancaro are on this team and are each going to play, presumably, 30-plus minutes a, a night for the Blue Devils. So there just aren't that many minutes for big men available for Theo John. And what was most interesting to me, Jason, is exactly what you pointed out, is that he is coming from a place where he was one of the most important players on a team that, look, underperformed a little bit, but was still a competitive top flight conference type of team. So Theo John knows the the situation that he's walking into. He knows that there are two NBA real good NBA prospects ahead of him on this roster and still wanted to be a part of it. So I think that says a lot about it. Donald, what is your take on Theo John's transfer to Duke? So in hockey, you have several lines, right? You have your first line. That's usually your best guys. You have your second line. That's usually your second best guys, but then you have your checking unit. You have your enforcers. Theo John is our enforcer. He's our checker. He's the guy that's going to come in with all 255 pounds and he's going to muscle people around. But the thing about him is that he is going to be a guy that's going to be very, very hand, a handful for teams when we're on defense. He is, as Jason said, a great rebounder. He's a great shot blocker, just the rim defender. He's not going to block a lot of shots, but he's going to alter a lot of them. Just like Mark Williams will throw them into existence. He's going to be one that's going to kind of make you shoot 15 feet to get down to 10. That sort of kind of guy. 
on offense, he still hits 57% of his, of his shots, mostly inside the rim dunks and, and layups and stuff like that. He can be frustrating on offense and that'll be something that the team will work on, but he's not here for offense. He's here to back up the guys uh, our, our creative stars that we have in the front court and Mark Williams and Paulo Bancaro. And he is a guy that's going to come in and really establish the physicality of what Duke basketball is going to be establish the intensity and keep it m- m- going when those guys have to get breathers or on the bench or foul trouble or whatever. He is that guy. Again, he's a, he's someone who's played four years of college basketball. He, he played under Wojo, who was one of the most intense competitors Duke has ever had full stop. So he knows how to play competitive basketball he knows how to play in the Big East where it's physical and tough, and he's going to bring that to Durham. Uh, one last really quick thing about Theo, John, folks should recognize he was injured much of this past season um, and was injured a little bit as a, as a junior as well. And uh, we, we don't necessarily, as a sophomore, Theo John was, was really outstanding. Uh, it looked like he was a guy who was on his way to a, a pro career um, in terms of having a, an impact on, on the game and, and his, his progression has not been that great over the past couple of years, again, because he's dealt with nagging injuries. If he gets really healthy, this is a guy who could be a real major, major impact player for Duke. Um, even if he doesn't, he's going to be a presence, and he, he performed well, even, even hurt last year. But I'm really interested in seeing if he gets healthy, you know, how much he, he pushes that Duke big, uh, the Duke big men, um, adding him to what we already have likely gives Duke, you know, top two, top three big men lineups in the country. So he, he is a welcome addition. We were tired of playing against all these big teams. Remember like in the, in February, we were talking about every single team that we faced was one of the top, you know, tallest teams in the country. Coach K got sick of that. So now we're going to have one of them. One more fun thing about Theo John that I am glad that I get to mention means you guys didn't pick up on this. Theo John transferring Mar- from Marquette means that he was part of the last team to ever beat Roy Williams in the Dean Dome because Marquette played at Carolina in a surprise game in February that was that was sort of scheduled randomly. And that's the last game that UNC lost at home this year. So Theo John has something that all of the rising Duke freshmen and sophomores do not have, which is a victory in the Dean Dome. And that is experience that you cannot replicate. So very cool to, to have a guy like that coming into the program. The other transfer that I want to spend a few minutes on is Bates Jones. As I mentioned, I think the most notable thing for Duke fans is that Bates Jones is Daniel Jones's little brother. So um, he, he was a reserve even at Davidson, only played about you know less than 15 minutes a game last year for Bob McKillop. So not sure we're going to be expecting quite as much from him as we would from Theo John. But Donald, I'll, I'll let you go first. Any thoughts on Bates Jones and his addition to the program? Yeah, again, this is about size. This is about having more guys in our front court being able to only, you know, go after Mark Williams in practice, go after Paul Bancaro in practice and make those two a lot better. We have the physicality guy. We have a guy who probably is not going to be as physical, but at least is a big body that we can use to replicate what they're going to experience in day-to-day play and, and really just have that practice core be founded because again like jason has said in return to glory practice is a lot of how duke basketball is shaped a lot of things and the great thing about this is that theoretically you know we haven't heard the schedule yet but they will be able to get in earlier this summer than they were able to last summer which means an entire summer of those guys working hard together and workouts and getting better so that when fall practice does begin they're all ready to go base jones is going to be a big part of that process 
uh, getting acclimated and making sure that he is able to, again, bring what he knows from college basketball to uh, Durham. This is yet another guy taking his super senior year. That's the way people are referring to it. This is someone who's played four years of college basketball um, at the high mid-major kind of level. Um, and uh, he's he's 22. You know, I, I said Theo John's going to be 23. Bates Jones is is 22. It is really important for us to, to have these kind of experienced players who understand what it takes uh, to succeed at the highest levels of college basketball, know the work ethic involved, and, and can impart that to Duke's younger players. Um, I, I don't know that any of these guys are going to be made captains because they're just arriving on campus, but in some, uh, to some extent, they will function like captains. They're going to be able to, to tell the young guys, you know, how, how to act, how to prepare, and, and how to be the best you can be in college because these are guys who have experienced it. And, and I'm, uh, I, I love getting a guy like this. He, he, he may play, he'll probably play less than 40 or 50 minutes over the course of the entire season for Duke and, and probably only in games where it's not really a competitive game. But, but uh, you know, as we've heard, what he can do in practice and what he can impart in terms of wisdom will be very, very important. And he knows the culture. I mean, he, he may not know it from the basketball side, but at least he knows Duke. He knows the campus through his brother. And he's, you know, we've seen him. He's been at games before. So he knows the campus. He knows the atmosphere. He knows the life. And so we don't have to bring him up to speed on that, which is great. So his learning curve is way shorter in that regard. He can just come in and focus on the basketball. And by the way, his brother Daniel's not the only member of the Jones family who's played at Duke. His sister Ruthie is also on the women's soccer team. So three members of the Jones clan getting to play three different sports at Duke. We're very good at having the siblings at, at Duke. You know, doesn't matter what sport. We always have a lot of siblings that end up liking it uh, and, and bring in all their kids there. So this is great. This is great. The Jones family, one more. Absolutely. And by the way, the, the other thing that I think is important about Bates Jones, I agree with you guys that it's not like I expect him to play lots of minutes. He's not displacing either of the you know, projected stars in Mark Williams or Paulo Bancaro. And I don't think he's as talented as Theo John, but he brings a, a level of maturity. And I know that because he played for Bob McKillop, who is a, I, say, I, I described him as a legendary coach at Davidson. He's been at Davidson for a long time and has really built that program up into something obviously highlighted by the Seth, uh, by the, excuse me, by the Steph Curry years when, when Steph was, was lighting it up for Davidson, but Bob McKillop and coach K are friends. And I know that they've, they've traded notes over the years about how to run their programs. So I'm not familiar with the exact day-to-day of what's going on at Davidson, but I would not be surprised if Bates Jones comes in and says, yep, I understand sort of how the culture is supposed to work here. I've, I've, I haven't played for coach K, but I've played for a guy who's sort of cut from the same cloth as coach K right down the road uh, at Davidson. So excited to see how both Theo John and Bates Jones do in Duke uniforms. We will, um, we're, we're just about finished. Jason, I, I did want to come back to you to ask really quick, because this is two more roster moves for Duke. They're now at 10, you could call recruited scholarship players to the extent that either of the walk-ons is getting a scholarship this year. They sort of come in after all the recruited players for, for those potential scholarships. But are there any other players that we should be looking out for that might be committing to Duke or, or in the pipeline right now that would be in line to be joining the team this fall? Yeah, everyone presumes that, that Duke still wants to find one more ball handler, um, you know, essentially a backup point guard. 
Um, uh, although it's possible that, you know, we'll see Wendell Moore and Trevor Keels perhaps playing some backup point guard. But um, uh, Duke is still very much after Jalen Blakes, um, a top 100 player. We've, we've spoken about him a little bit on, on the podcast. Uh, the expectation um, is that Duke is the leader for Jalen Blakes. Uh, as we've said in the past, he, he went to Blair Academy in New Jersey. Keenan Worthington was one of his teammates when he was at Blair Academy. Um, Blair Academy has a connection to Duke. Luol Deng went to Blair Academy. Um, and, and the head coach at Blair knows Duke and the Duke program really well. Um, I, the expectation is uh, anytime in the next few days, week or so, Jalen Blakes will make his college decision. Everyone who um, is sort of tracking these things expects him to pick Duke. He is an ideal fit for what Duke wants, someone who um, probably will be in the program for multiple years, uh, if not all four years, and, uh, and a, a quality point guard, plays good defense, a good shooter, not a lights out shooter, but but just you know exactly what the doctor ordered and and what Duke needs to be at a really good sort of uh, starters and backups, uh, you know, uh, in, in practice and and also in games. You know, if someone gets hurt or someone gets in foul trouble, something like that. So we're we're just waiting on that, and I uh, my bet is we're going to get it in the next week or so. So we will stay up to date on Jalen Blakes. We'll stay up to date on anybody that is rumored or committing to Duke. And, and we'll be back to talk about that. If there's any other roster news, any other Duke news coming up, we will address that. Donald, I'll give you the floor for, for one more parting shot or, or final note, if you've got anything. Yeah, it's, it's funny that you mentioned Luol Deng because his birthday was a couple of days ago. So shout out from the DBR podcast to Luol Deng on his birthday. I know it was a couple of days late, but better belated than not to say it at all. As long as we're mentioning Luol Deng, we got to, it won't be this podcast because we're done. We've, we've done enough. We got to, at some point very soon, talk about what's going on in the NBA for some blue. Jason Tatum is just going crazy. And Gary Trent. And, Gar- and, Gary- and Zion yes. Williamson. Yeah. Oh, the Zion, forget about it. I mean, Zion is clearly next. Zion is what's next in the NBA. There's no question about that, I, but it, it's, there's some fun stuff going on. We got to get to that soon. I, I will say everyone pay attention for the next couple of weeks because the playoff race is starting to really heat up. You have that play in uh, tournament that's going to happen between the seven, eight, nine and 10 seed teams in both sides of the, of the, of the bracket. I love that. So by the way, pay, I love it. Pay attention to that because that is going to become really extra spicy the next couple of weeks. So we'll keep an eye on the NBA. We'll keep an eye on the Duke roster. We'll keep an eye on all of it for you. And we will be back as soon as there is news to discuss. Don't forget. To stay in touch with us, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We've gotten a couple great emails recently, so those have been a lot of fun. And I still have the survey open. I'm going to close it this week so that I can finally uh, finish organizing all the answers. So one last time, I will remind you, if you haven't done so yet, tinyurl.com slash survey. Tell us anything and everything you think about this show, and we will read it and, and react to it in some way. But for Jason Evans and for Donald Wine, who is going to go put five bucks on black for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Appreciate you. For Jason and Donald, I'm Sam Klein. This has been episode 308 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Duke band, take us home. <laughs>